Morning. Today we're going to be talking about two stories, um, one from the life of David and one from the life of Saul. And honestly, they're the kind of stories that kind of want to leave you hiding in the shadows. You don't want to talk about them. They're dark moments, darkest moments in these guys' lives. The moments where a side of their heart was exposed that they wanted to keep hidden from everybody. They didn't want people to know it was there. We've been talking about David and the way God grew his heart. And today we're going to talk about what it means to grow a contrite heart. A contrite heart instead of calloused one. One that's indifferent to sin. You know, we read in the Bible that David was a man after God's own heart. That's what the screen says, right? And I think the conflict some of us have is, okay, man after God's own heart had multiple wives, committed adultery, committed murder. Hmm, not a very high bar. I could be that too. We struggle with it. I mean, how in the world can you be called a man after God's own heart with those things on your list? And then you look at King Saul and you kind of go, he didn't do a lot of that stuff. And yet he's the guy that gets dethroned. He's the guy that God says, you're not going to be king any longer. And so there's something in the comparison of David and Saul that helps us to see the difference. What, what's the difference maker? Because clearly the difference maker is not the list of sins that each of these men committed. So when it comes to King Saul, the story you need to see is found in um, 1 Samuel chapter 15 where it talks about God rejecting Sam, Saul as king. And um, he gives Saul a command. We already looked at this story. He gives Saul a command. He says, I want you to go in and I want you to destroy a nation that caused Israel trouble when we were moving into the land. I want you to go in and I want you to wipe out the Amalekites. And I mean wipe out. And he gives the list. And the list is very specific. Do not spare them. Totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Kill everything, destroy everything, don't keep a thing. Which that in itself is a sermon, right? Some of you are going to just sit there all morning and not know what to do with that. But I think we need to receive God for who he is instead of kind of remaking him in our image. Nonetheless. So he gathers his army and he heads off to the Amalekites and he attacks them. I mean he attacks them with fury. But verse 8 says, he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all of his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fatted calves and lambs, everything that was good, everything they perceived to be good, they kept. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. Don't miss that line. Destroy completely, obey completely, destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So their evaluation was, if it's worthless to us, it's worthless to God. If it's worth something to us, we'll keep it because we want it. Even though God said, wipe it all out, I want none of it, I want nothing to do with it. So in both stories, the men are confronted by a prophet. In this case, uh, Saul is confronted by Samuel. And God tells Samuel what happened, gives him the details. And the Bible says Samuel wept all night long for Saul. 
He just wept for him. There, was, there wasn't like this indignation that, you know, this fury, good, it's about time. He wept for him. And the next day he goes to confront him. And when he does, Samuel approaches him. And, and, and Saul says, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I read that and I'm going, by what definition? Where in, the, where in the world do you get the idea that you carried out the Lord's instructions? And I love what Samuel does at this point. We've talked about this in other classes and whatever. We need to get a lot better at asking questions rather than making accusations. He doesn't say, what do you mean? You didn't destroy everything. Look. He says, I think I hear sheep. I think I hear cattle. What's going on here? And Saul's response is just incredible, okay? He says, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites they spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice the Lord your God. He doesn't even say the Lord our God or the Lord my God, the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. We took care of everything else. Samuel just says enough. I have heard enough. And then, and then he says, and I love this because there's a very similar thing that happens in the story of David. He kind of just recounts the goodness of God towards Saul. He said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribe of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. He sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you, not pounce, why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? And what does Saul say? But I did obey. I mean, do you feel like you're dealing with a four-year-old right now? But I did obey. Are you kidding me? Really? I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back their king, which I guess is not the definition of complete, but oh well. The soldiers took the sheep and the cattle and the plunder and the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord at Gilgal. I mean, he does this wonderful little shift where he basically says, see, I did a good thing for God. I'm trying to do a good thing for God here. Come on, really? Saul's, Samuel's response is beautiful, and it's one that needs to be engraved in our hearts. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? We might say, does the Lord delight in going to church and giving in the offering? As much as obeying the Lord. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Oh, guess what Saul says now? Oh, I have sinned. I messed up. I violated the Lord's instructions in your, your, the Lord's commands in your instructions, and then he, he can't stop, right? I was afraid. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sins and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. He's busted. He's just flat out busted. He knows he's wrong. But only when the consequences are laid out, only when he's told you've lost the kingdom, only then can he finally say, you're right, I sinned. But, but, I was afraid. Isn't it okay to sin when you're afraid? So that's our point of comparison. We see how, David, how Samuel, Saul handles his sin. What does David do? I, you know, it, I don't know about you, but every time I go through the, the story of David, I just fall in love with David more and more every time. I love this guy. This is a great man. 
And so unfortunately, I know the story enough that when I come to 2 Samuel chapter 11, I just want to close my eyes. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this again. I don't want to hear that David went here. In the spring at the time when kings go off to war, that's important. Uh, They go off to war in the spring because in the winter you'll die, okay? They know. You got another enemy during the winter, weather, or during the winter, weather, and I'm not fighting that enemy. So they wait till spring. David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. And then there's this haunting line, but David remained in Jerusalem. David didn't go do what David's supposed to do. He's supposed to go to war. He's supposed to lead the battle. In fact, the Bible a little later tells us that when uh, Joab conquered these people, he actually sent for David and said, come on, we're about to wrap this up. you got to receive this guy's crown so that I don't get credit for the battle, but you do. He's not supposed to be sitting at home. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked out on the roof of the palace. Now, that is just unimaginable to us. You can't imagine walking the roof line of your house in the you know, cool of the evening. And if you remember that picture of, of David's Jerusalem, it's on a hillside. So David's at the hot top of the hill, and he's looking down over the rooftops of his little village. And he's looking down, and, and the roof is where you went. That was where your air conditioning was. That was where you went in the cool of the day. So he goes out and wanders on the rooftop, and he sees a beautiful woman. He sees a beautiful woman bathing. And he wants to know more about her. He sends and asks for information. And, and the man comes back, and I love what happens here, okay? Don't miss this. She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Do you know what we tend to do in sexual sin? We tend to objectify the other person. We tend to depersonalize them. Get rid of the name. Forget the fact that this is some man's daughter. Forget the fact that this is some man's wife. Objectify them. David had completely objectified this woman. All he saw was a woman taking a bath. And the passage goes on to make a point about ceremonial cleanness and whatever to basically say, David had better be careful because there's a pretty good chance that if he does have a relationship with her, a sexual relationship with her, a baby's going to result, and that's exactly what happened. She sends and says, I am pregnant. And the rest of the chapter is spent trying to figure out what to do about the husband because the husband's a good guy. In fact, the husband is a man of incredible, impeccable character. David calls him back home. He says, go have a good time with your wife. Have a good time at home. He refuses to even go home. He says, the the army is sleeping in tents. I can't go back to my house. He's a man of such incredible character that ultimately David has to say, put this man on the front line, withdraw the army so that he gets killed. And he does. And and the passage ends, the passage ends, uh, again, in kind of a haunting way. Uriah's wife Bathsheba heard that her husband was dead. She mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. And then these lines, these words, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. So this clearly bruised for a while because the baby is born and Nathan the prophet comes one day to see David and he tells a story, and you know, just between questions and storytelling, great ways to get at the point. So he starts in with this story, story of a man who was desperately poor and he owned one little sheep, little lamb, 
We'll call him Baba. <laughs> little Baba. They loved little Baba. I mean, they didn't just leave this little lamb out in the yard. No, Baba got to come in the house, jump on the furniture, eat from the master's bowl, sleep in his arms. The Bible says that, sleep in his arms. Baba. Rich guy next door had cattle coming out of his schnoz. He had lambs. He had everything. A visitor comes to his house. And, and the guy's like, I'm not killing my stuff. Hey, I saw Baba in the neighbor's yard. Let's go get Baba. And before you know it, lambs too. And you know, this story, I mean, it, it, it serves the purpose because David is so enraged, his eyes are bleeding. I mean, he is furious. Who in the world would do this? Let's get this guy. He needs to pay four times over. He is outraged. And the bony finger of Nathan comes out and says, you are that man. You're that man. The wording, much, again, much like what Samuel did with Saul, Nathan does with David. This is what the Lord God of Israel said. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives in your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his sight? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret. You did it in the darkness. You did this in the shadows. But I will do this very thing in broad daylight before all Israel. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord, period. No equivocation, no excuses, no, but this was a good thing, really. I mean, look, this baby, blah, blah, blah. I have sinned against the Lord. Now, we don't know, but I suspect this is not the first time David thought about his sin. I suspect this had been brewing in his heart for quite some time. I have sinned against the Lord. Here's Nathan's response. The Lord has taken away your sin. With Samuel, the Lord has taken away your kingdom, Saul. With David, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But then he says, oh, by the way, just because I've forgiven your sins doesn't mean the consequences don't remain. And truly, from that day forward, David lives in a different kind of misery. The initial misery of his life was being chased by Saul. And the rest of his life is lived in misery being chased by the consequences of his sin. What he did, there was a price. Not a price to be paid in terms of redemption, but a price to be paid in terms of consequences. So let's just take a look at this real quick so that you get an idea of the difference between a man after God's own heart and a man who has a calloused heart. Saul rationalized. 
I obeyed completely, kind of. He blamed. The army made me do it. He bargained. No, but this is really a good thing for God. Really, really, we get to do sacrifices. When the consequences are announced, you're right, I sinned, but. And he comes up with excuses. Fear. David, I have sinned against the Lord. And so the question comes for every one of us today. When we are confronted, not by Samuel and not by Nathan, but maybe by the Spirit of God or maybe by a person in our life or maybe by a letter in the mail or whatever it is, when we are confronted, which path do we choose? Do we just own it and ask for forgiveness or do we rationalize and excuse and blame and come up with every other reason this is someone else's fault and not mine? A contrite heart says, I have sinned against the Lord. A calloused heart does what Saul does and a whole lot more. God wants us to have soft hearts. You see, I think what, what marks a man after God's own heart is a soft heart. Just a softness. It's not calloused. It's, there's a softness that when the person realizes I've done wrong, they say, it's got to stop now. I have sinned against God. So what I want to do in our moments remaining is to talk through a a practice of confession. I think every one of us need a practice of confession. We need to come to God often and confess our sins. We need to do that. And what does that look like? What, is, what does confession look like in your life? What does it mean to spend time just confessing your sin to God? And I'll give you a couple of suggestions. One, I, I like to use Scripture for my practice of confession because I figure if, if David did such a good job confessing, I want to follow in his pattern, right? So, I mean, there are seven psalms. I wrote them down so that I didn't forget because I know I'd forget one and we'd sit here for the next 20 minutes trying to get me to remember the last one. But Psalm 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, 143. Uh, don't worry, I'll get them to you. Any of those psalms, six of them, all but 130, are written by David. And there's psalms where he just pours out his heart to God and says, I need your forgiveness. Psalm 130 is a psalm of ascent, but it's the same idea. I need your forgiveness. So you might use that. Let me give you the practice that I have in my life. I walk through a series of verses that just kind of, I would call it softening the soil of my soul before I just sit there with God and talk about the sins I've committed and ask him for a specific forgiveness. So this is a piece of what I do on my prayer walk. You could do it walking, you could do it sitting, and again, I'll get these to you. But I start by trying to get a big picture. I'm looking at these verses, and um, I start with the biggest big picture verse I can possibly think of. God, you love the world so much that you sent your only one, one and only son to die so that everyone who believes in you will not perish but have everlasting life. That includes Dennis. I need that big, I need to, before I zero in on my sin, I need to view it, I need to zero in on God and his big picture. He came not to just hold my sins before me and make me feel miserable. He came to forgive my sins. And then I'm not only reminded of the condition of who God is, but I'm reminded of the condition of my own heart. And so I look at Romans 3.23, and this is on a sheet of paper. I just go through this, although now I'm pretty much mentally can just do it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, including you, Dennis. You're in all. I go to Romans 3. 10 to 12, there is no one righteous, not one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. We've all gone out of our way. We've all become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one, not even you, Dennis. 
So the first part is focusing on the big, gracious love of God, and the second part is to kind of go, and there's a reason he needs to be loving. And then, kind of in the seams of this thing, so that, those are the opening movements. In the seams, I like to pray a line from Scripture. It would be, it would be assigned to the... Um, the tax collector and the Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember, the Pharisee goes, thank God I'm not like that guy. And, and the, it says the tax collector couldn't even look up, and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so I just pray the words, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, it's not like I, I pray this seven times and there's some magic, okay? It's simply, I pray this to remind myself, Lord Jesus Christ, you're the Son of God. I need your mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Then, then it kind of gets to the body of this, of this time of prayer. Again, reminding me of God. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and so rich in love. And after I've dwelled on that for a couple of moments, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Psalm 51, verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop. The, the new living says, purify me from my sins. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then I move to Psalm 51 where it just starts to really personalize this thing. Against you, God, and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. This isn't just a mistake Dennis made. This is an offense to a holy God. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then, but I confess my sins to you. Psalm 38, 18. But I confess my sins to you. I'm deeply sorry for what I've done. And again, in reminding myself, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I start to recount and repent of the sin that I've committed. The sin I live in, the sin I've done once. I just spend time there talking to God about the parts of me that need his forgiveness. That sometimes takes two minutes. That sometimes takes three or four prayer walks. And those are two hour long. Um, and then I, I don't want to stay there. You know what I mean? This is the body of it. Now we, kinda, now we come back out. And on the back outside, I want to be reminded of God's mercy again. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One of the big problems some of us have is God has forgiven us and we haven't yet. If God forgave you, you should too. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then I love to move on to Revelation 3.20. Here I am, Jesus says. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. And I love to go real visual on this one. And so I imagine that door, I hear the knock, I go over it, I open the door, I let Jesus in, and then there's this meal thing, and I'll tell you what, for the longest time, I was the one making the meal. I'm running up and back from the kitchen, getting my best stuff, doing all this, making Jesus real happy, and one day I said, I wonder what would happen if I actually let Jesus make the meal. It'd probably be better. It'd probably happen faster. Bing, you know, I don't know. And so I let Jesus serve me, which is really hard for me because I like to do for everybody else. But I let Jesus, he served me in dying for my sin. Why shouldn't he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies? 
doesn't just set the table and say, you go get the food. He makes the meal. And then kind of a commitment to move on with the day. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to move our hearts toward communion. Lights are going to go a little dimmer. And the summary of all this is going to come up on the screen magically right now. And I want you to go ahead and take that over the next few minutes. Pray it. Maybe it's just praying part. Maybe it's more than part. I don't have the ending, okay? The last three verses, because we'll come back and do those together at the close. We have about six minutes for communion. Soft music will be playing. And whether you use this or you use whatever your practice of confession has been throughout your life, take some time right now in the presence of God. To let God see a contrite heart instead of a calloused one. Maybe you're not going to focus on all 39 things you did wrong since you woke up. Maybe it's just one that's been nagging at you for a month. But it's time to just simply say to God, I have sinned against the Lord. And to stop rationalizing and to stop blaming and stop doing all the things you do with your sin and to just say, I don't like this between us. And I'm the one who put it there. I need your forgiveness. And then once you've received that forgiveness, go to one of the four stations around the room and receive the forgiveness of God as shown to us through the bread and the cup. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. We are sinners. So bring up those final three verses and we'll say these together out loud and receive them. Really receive them. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Our servers are going to come now and receive the offering. And while we do, Brian's got a few announcements for us. Hey, God turned the temperature down for your football game. I was How nice of him. I was just about to say, Southfield, my church family, have mercy on me, a moron, <laughs> for picking the coldest day of the year. We are going to go ahead with it, though, because at least it's not raining. I was half expecting to hear thunder there, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to go ahead 1230 over at Shannon Junior High uh, on the soccer field. We're going to get a, a flag football game going over there. So again, junior high age on up. Everybody's invited to come out and play, and again, we'll have some fun. Uh, it's not going to be hyper-competitive, um, so again, we're not, 
this is flag. So if you, you know if you've been practicing, if you've been doing tackling drills all week, uh, please don't. Uh, but again, we'll have water out there and some other things. So again, uh, just come join us for that. It'll be a good time. On the website, there's a lot of things to sign up for, uh, a lot of things to register for. One of those being the student retreat uh, in January, both the junior high and high school student retreat. Um, now, those are both limited. They, we only have 20 slots available in each group. And I'm telling you, the junior high group is filling up fairly quickly. So if you have a junior hire who's planning on going on that, you, you want to make sure to get over to the website and get them signed up. Another opportunity for junior high specifically is mentoring. We have some spots available. Uh, so if you had something going on this fall and you weren't uh, able to make that commitment to mentoring in the fall, we're opening up more spots in the spring. So an, another really neat opportunity to get involved there. Uh, if you have any questions, you can come ask me, uh, and we'll make sure to get you matched up with the group here coming up in January. Finally, the women's retreat, uh, you can sign up for that. That's coming up in February, I believe. So um, again, another, another cool opportunity to do things with And rethink this year is basically called Think Again. Think Again, yeah. Mm -hmm. So the, right outside in the, in the foyer here, we have an opportunity for you to go sign up to get involved with, uh, with Think Again. Now, we're not doing the same things that we did last year necessarily. So uh, one way that you can get involved is just by purchasing um, some things, some items for different bags that are going to be going to different groups. Uh, like one is being put together. We're putting together 50 bags for uh, the Pregnancy Resource Center. And, um, and so a lot of things that are going in there are small items. It's not you know, you're not, we're not buying 50 flat screen TVs. We're buying uh, 50, you know, chapsticks and lotions and different things like that. So if you have a chance before you head out on your way out the door, go ahead and stop by uh, our brand new Welcome Center. Uh, check out the list, and you have an opportunity there to sign up for a specific thing. Good. I'm just going to do something real quick. Anything else? Christmas Eve services. No, I know, but I mean, anything else on that? Oh, did we hit anything it? else on that? Yeah. Do it today. Do it today. Do it today. Do it today. This is it. All right. Good. Just checking in with the brain. Okay. So finally, yeah, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. So Christmas Eve will be 3 and 4.30. Remember, it's Saturday, so you likely will not be at work. And we want to do it early enough that you can get off to Grandma's house. So 3 and 4.30. And then Christmas Day, we're one of those churches that believes it's a good idea to be open on Jesus' birthday. And so we're going to have church at 11 that day, just one service at 11. All three services will look pretty similar. So if you're able to be here for Christmas Eve and not Christmas Day, that's fine. If you're able to be here Christmas Day and not Christmas Eve, that's fine too. Trying to work well around your family celebrations and at the same time not to forget the reason for the season. It's about Jesus. So that's what matters most. I do have one more because, again, why? it wouldn't be an announcement session without me forgetting at least one no, thing. So uh, high school tonight we were doing our junk food Thanksgiving, so Yay. I totally forgot to, to mention that. If you've signed up to bring something, please do bring it. If you haven't, just bring junk food. And if any of you would like to drop off some nasty food, because again, you're going to have healthy Thanksgiving on Thursday, right? Yeah. So I mean, that's, yeah. that's what the day is all about. Yeah. So we're going yeah. to have our junk food Thanksgiving with all kinds of just disgusting good food. Very um, good. Very yeah. good. We're going to close out with some music. Uh, you know, when you're talking about confession, that can, be a, that can obviously be a very heavy uh, and introspective topic. And so we want to send our, ourselves away really just having been, been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. So uh, I, I will say this about 
confession and a, a practice of confession. Uh, you know, com- communion went on for six minutes this morning, and some of you went, I could have been done four minutes ago. Uh, it takes time to get the Spirit of God to take you where you're going. So you may think you got it done this morning in those six minutes, and it may even be during the music or driving or sometime later today that the Spirit of God brings something to your heart. Always be ready. Always be soft. Be ready to say, I have sinned against the Lord, and confess your sins to God. So let's stand together and close out our time being washed in this singing.
love you. God, may the way that we live our lives show that love that we have for you. God, we thank you for forgiving us. We thank you, Lord, for softening our hearts. I pray that you would continue to soften them so that we can receive the truth that you have for us. Whether it's truth about ourselves or whether it's truth about you and your grace and your hope and your power, your holiness. God, you are amazing. And we thank you for loving even us. Oh 
Thanksgiving week. If you think you have no reason to be thankful, remember this. I am forgiven and I am deeply loved by God. Don't sit and just focus on your sin. There is a grace that is much greater than your sin. There is a God much bigger and much more strong than any sin that we have ever committed. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from every unrighteousness. Walk away from this place today with a clean heart, with pure hands ready to embrace God. A broken and a contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. Let's live with contrite hearts. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. We'll see you.